Open the Word of God with me first to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. In the back room this morning, and in your pastor's prayer this morning, and in the first song we sang this morning, we've prayed for God to do something for us that he expects us to do for ourselves. And so let's make sure that we keep the balance of asking God to bless us while we make our proper efforts that the Bible tells us to make. Ephesians chapter 5. We don't pray for a job and then lie in bed waiting for some employer to come to the door, break it down, come through the house, turn off the alarm system, pull us out of bed, take us to a job. We, we understand it in every other area, every other area of life. We don't ask the Lord for our daily bread and then not go to work. We ask the Lord for our daily bread, and we go to work, and we do both. Ephesians chapter 5, we sang, revive us again. That means give us life again. Quicken us again. David prayed, quicken thou me. I just prayed that the Lord would stir us up by his spirit. And yet the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would write in Ephesians 5 and verse 14, Awake thou that sleepest. God doesn't wake us up. We're supposed to wake up and arise from the dead. We're supposed to quicken ourselves, and Christ shall give thee light. So there's Christ giving light if we'll arise from the dead and make the effort that we should right now. We said, revive us again and kindle our hearts with thy love. No, the Bible says, set our affections, which is our love, on things above. And we do that right now. That's, that's Colossians chapter 3. Philippians and Colossians are fraternal twin epistles. Colossians chapter 3 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. In verse 2. And so there's the combination. So while we sang it, and while I prayed it, and while I want God to do his work, we want to do our part. And that is to realize that we are now sitting before the word of God that the Holy Spirit has already been given to us. He's already inside us. The only limiting factor is our disobedience and carnal living and foolish thinking. So if we'll submit to godly thinking and the Spirit already there and realize that the chapter before us, John 16, is of great importance and the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the red writing in your Bible is of great importance we will accomplish what we should. But it's the combination of both. In the practical phase of salvation, we need God's blessing, but he does not bless without our effort. We need both. And so right now you need to make a choice that what you've done this week is not as important as what Jesus had to say to his apostles. And I'm sorry that it's historical. And I'm sorry that it's not even to you. I really am. Because it's exclusive apostolic. Because there are people that use a couple of these verses to run around coming up with all kind of imaginations by saying it was the Spirit leading them into all truth. The Spirit led the apostles into all truth. And we have to stick as closely as we can to what the apostles wrote or we won't end up in truth. He doesn't lead us into all truth. Not the way that John 16 meant it. Because that's what he did for the apostles. So let's turn to John 16. You're there. Ephesians 5 tells us to awake. 
If you're sleepy, wake up. If you're dull, wake up. If you're dead, arise from the dead. Well, I can't do that myself. Yes, you can. Or Paul wouldn't have written it. And Lord, have mercy. For every ounce of effort we put forth, give us a pound of cure. Lord, help us. John 16. The next lesson. These chapters are wonderful. I never want you to forget that from John 12, 1 is the last week of Jesus' life. I want you to see these chapters in a way that you haven't seen them before, maybe. That you're getting the last hours and the last lessons of our Lord with his closest companions who were supposed to be the foundation stones of the church. These words he's going to give are precious. They're powerful. They're persuasive. When I wrote you the Friday update, I was out of my mind. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I hope I can share just a little bit of that with you today. John 16, if you've prepared, if you'll awake, if you'll arise, there's some things here for us to rejoice in. Verses 12 through 15. Jesus said, it's in the red writing in your Bibles, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. A little, and we'll stop right there. That's our, that's our next lesson. Jesus is going to teach his apostles by the Holy Spirit. Verses 12 through 15. I have yet many things to say unto you. Jesus had taught a lot in three and a half years, but he had a whole lot more he knew that they needed to know. And they were still ignorant to the very end. I want to repeat again, in Acts chapter 1, we are down to one week before Jesus before Pentecost, we're down to his ascension into heaven because we have Passover and we have Pentecost. We have 50 days. Jesus was in the ground three of those. That leaves 47. Then we had Jesus showing himself alive after his resurrection for 40 days, so that leaves seven. So there's one week between Acts 1, verses 9 through 11, when Jesus ascended into heaven, and Acts 2, when the Spirit fell on them on the day of Pentecost. But one week before Pentecost, they were tugging on the Lord like kids in a car. When are we going to get there, Dad? When are we going to get there, Dad? Is this when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this when Israel's going to be great again? Unbelievable. Ha ha ha. But very believable. We'd be worse if it wasn't for the Holy Ghost and their writings. And the change that took place in one morning, boom! Now Peter had a little bit of insight in Acts chapter 1 to run a business meeting and replace Judas Iscariot. But uh, they were the ones that had asked, 
Are you going to restore Israel at this time? No, he wasn't going to restore Israel at this time. He was about to level Israel to the ground and, and disperse them forever and turn to the Gentiles. That's what he was about to do. But they would understand that in the days to come. Brethren, in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 3, it says the heaven is high and, and the sea is deep and a king's heart is unsearchable. I have yet many things to tell you. Can you imagine being the Lord Jesus Christ in whom were hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge dealing with those ignorant fishermen? He had so much he wanted to convey and he couldn't do it. They were pitiful. You can't bear it. You'd burn up. You'd explode right now if I tried to give you all that I'm supposed to give you. All that the Father has given me that is necessary for the church I've got it bottled up inside of me, but the time's out. I've got to go back to heaven. But don't worry. I have a tutor for you, and the tutor is the Holy Ghost. And I don't mean to be disrespectful in the slightest way, but I want to be as practical and as plain as possible for you to appreciate the chain of command. And it was the Trinity. It is the Trinity. And we understand in that Trinity that those persons of the Godhead do not give or take from each other in their divine natures but they do give and take in each other in the economy of our redemption with Jesus as our mediator. They most definitely do. And so God had given to Jesus a body of truth for the church. Jesus didn't get it taught to them. He's going back to heaven. He gives that to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave it to the apostles, and you're going to run into those words in the verses I just read to you. We're going to run into them. And we want to understand them. Jesus grew in wisdom and he had all the good knowledge of God. And we want to plumb what Jesus has for us and what he gave the apostles through the Holy Ghost. When we read the Bible, don't ever think that you've mastered its content. Its content is more than you can bear. Amen. But the Holy Spirit is able to help us with the word of God understand its things. And we have been taught and shown so much by apostolic insight on what the scriptures meant. Make sure we always ask that God would open his word to us and show us things by the Holy Spirit. Right. Now that prayer was made in the Old Testament. The apostles didn't need to make that prayer very often because God just simply did it for them. Jesus did it for them. But they were praying in, in, in that final week they had before the day of Pentecost. And we want to be praying when we come and approach the Word of God. How many things are there yet for God to teach us through Jesus Christ by His written epistles and the influence of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see things that we haven't seen yet? So we want to pray. Jesus said, I have many things. And we can understand that by looking ahead and seeing all the things that the apostles wrote. Can you believe the apostles at this point this point right here, are confused. Jesus hasn't taught anything that earth-shaking. The Apostle Paul certainly is going to. What if Jesus had unloaded on them Romans 9 through 11? <clears throat> what a difference. These men were unable to bear it, and we want to make sure that we're able to bear as much as the Lord will give us. They had proven during their time with Jesus that they were confused by him. There are so many examples. If he used the word leaven, they'd get confused and want to run to the QT and get a loaf of bread. Yep. If he said, 
What are we going to feed these people with bread? Though one week earlier he had fed 5,000 and there were only 4,000 present, they couldn't remember the miracle a week ago. I don't care if it was a month ago. I don't care if it was a year ago. They couldn't remember the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were so confused. If he said, I have meat that ye know not of, they wondered who went to McDonald's for him and brought back the double quarter pounder with cheese. They were constantly confused. If he said that Lazarus was sleeping, they said, well, let's not go back to Judea. Let's stay right here and keep golfing. Totally confused about simple words that Jesus had explained. He had told them years earlier, behold, the maid sleepeth. Do you think they might have picked up on that? That when someone was dead in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, they weren't really dead? That he was capable and able to raise them from the dead. Well, that's why Jesus said you cannot bear them now. You're not ready. You don't have the Holy Spirit and the ability to comprehend all that you need to. They would be able to comprehend a great deal more very soon. A glance at Pentecost. You reading Acts 4. Did Peter preach and explain things carefully enough in Acts 4? Did he do it boldly? Did he do it concisely? Did he wander and run rabbit trails about fishing expeditions with his grandpa? Or did he unload the gospel of Jesus Christ on them in Acts 4, in Acts 3, in Acts 2, with no hesitation, with no study, with no commentary, with no seminary training? He explained Joel 2 and used logical reasoning that he never learned at fishing trade school. The logical reasoning in Acts 2 is beautiful. And that's by the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon them. And we want to be full of the Spirit as a church, as a pastor, and as a people, so that we can understand the things that are given to us of God. And that God can't say to us, well, I've got to withhold from them because they're not ready for spiritual meat because they're still carnal. Did Paul ever have to say that to a church? The church with the most charismatic gifts, the church at Corinth. Chapter 3, I can't speak to you as spiritual. I can't lay real truth on you because you're still babies fighting with each other, critical, negative, competitive, preacher factions, the works. Did Paul ever have to do it? The Hebrews, when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles. I would love to be laying the truth of Melchizedek on you folks. Those are two of the references. Jesus, how many times had to say, oh, fools and slow of heart. Does that mean we can speed up our hearts? Or is Jesus blowing in the wind? We can speed up our hearts. Lord, help us to do that. We do not want to be deprived truth that God would give us if we would be able and willing and eager to bear it. The apostles are going to bear much more doctrine as Jesus explains things to them by his tutor, which is the Holy Ghost. He's going to teach them by the Holy Spirit. A man can only bear divine or spiritual truth to the degree he has the spirit of truth. We can't understand spiritual things if we're only natural men. We've got to have the Spirit of God and be walking in the Spirit to understand and appreciate spiritual things. That's 1 Corinthians 2. I wanted you to read 1 Corinthians 2 again last night, but I had asked you to read it 10 weeks ago, and I thought you'd be irritated with me for asking you to read it again. I'm sure that you can remember every verse of it since it was only 10 weeks ago. 
There's only 16 verses in it. But it's powerful because Paul said, we have wisdom that the princes of this world don't have because it was revealed to us by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit searches the deep, yea, the deep things of God. Amen. And He gave it to us. And we give it to you. And those are, that's a wonderful fact of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 17 years ago, I preached a series of messages to this church entitled, The Mysteries of Hidden Wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Mysteries of Hidden Wisdom. Because the apostles were given mysteries. And they wrote them down for us. And Paul knew about it and explained it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you know, a man can only bear truth to the point that he, if he has the Holy Spirit. Therefore, why did Paul emphasize so much to Ephesus that they needed the Spirit? So that they could know the things that God had done, was doing, and would do for them. Chapter 1, Paul can hardly get started, but I ask God that he would give you the spirit of revelation in the Knowledge of him. Right. Now these were converted, baptized church members in good standing because Paul had been their pastor for the first two years of that church's history. Yet, they needed the Holy Spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, when he prayed to, to God, the Father of the whole family in heaven and earth, he said that there's dimensions of Christ's love that when you fully comprehend them, it passes knowledge. It's not recognizable by all human learning. It's not recognizable by human intellect. It passes knowledge. You can be filled with all the fullness of God. That passage in chapter 3. That's why the emphasis on the Holy Spirit in the epistle of the Ephesians, from me to you, that we might not be cut short by God keeping us from understanding things that we could because we're not in the Spirit like we should be. Most Christians and churches cost themselves greater truth by carnal, childish living. Carnal living with any bitterness or disobedience dulls the heart and the mind for truth. You all know it, don't you? Don't you know this? Right. A pastor occupied or worried about childish members must nurse the church with milk. Paul rebuked Corinth. Paul rebuked the Hebrews for it. Jesus Christ, the living word of God, is head over all of his churches and judges their character. When you read chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, there's the Lord Jesus Christ looking into the state of each church and recognizing what do they need. And most of them needed judgment. Most of them needed chastening. He, wasn't, he didn't write them and say, I'm just about to unload some new truth on you. I'm just about to unload greater understanding of the truth already written. He wrote and said, I'm going to take away the candlestick. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Lord, help us. And so when we look at verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Let's not just pick on the apostles for their ignorance, and they were ignorant, but let's realize that we ourselves should be ready to bear more truth and be looking for it and eager for it that God might reveal more to us by his word. So much more could be said. Let's go to verse 13. How be it? I'm not going to teach you. How be it is, serves the role of a disjunctive here. I have yet many things to say unto you. There's a whole lot more that you need to learn, but you can't bear it now. How be it? In opposition to that, 
in contrast to me not teaching you, I will send you a teacher. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, and he has already identified this spirit of truth as the spirit of God, as the comforter, in these three chapters of 14, 15, and 16. So all he has to do is say, Howbeit when he, because he's already referred to he in our immediate context in verse 8. And when he, and who is he in verse 8? It's the he of verse 7. The comforter is come. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. Let's leave the second half of the verse for the time being. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Men, I have a lot of things I'd love to teach you. I can't do it right now. But when the spirit arrives, he will do it all. He'll lead you into all truth. He'll give you everything I think that you should know. He'll give you everything I have from the Father. And when's the Spirit going to come? In 50 days. They were 50 days from a THD, the likes of which this world has never seen. In 50 days. And how long did it take for them to get it? Not 50 days. About one second. By the inspiration of God directly upon them through the Holy Spirit. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come? The Spirit is the Spirit of truth because it is His work in ministry to reveal truth. Do I need to bring up Ephesians again? That Paul wanted that church to have more of the Spirit and that Spirit not to be grieved or quenched so that they could have more truth. He is the Spirit of truth. Thank you, Lord, for that. The Comforter would encourage these men with much truth when he came at Pentecost. Let me chase a little rabbit just for one minute. Let's see if I can do it in a minute. It says, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, because of John 15, 26, when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father. Remember, I showed you in the Trinity hymnal, which has the Westminster Confession of Faith, and from the Council of Nicaea, of the Roman government, it says that there is an eternal procession of the Spirit. We don't believe in the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ, nor do we believe in the eternal procession of the Spirit, because the Spirit only proceeded one time, and He proceeded in time. And Jesus was made a son one time in time. And so we believe in the incarnate sonship of Jesus Christ, and we believe in the Pentecostal proceeding of the Holy Spirit. And if you read the updates carefully, I want to give Abuama Boanerges just a little few seconds right here by turning to John chapter 8 and verse 42, where Boanerges, in, a, in three sermons that I had to review this, I got to review this week for him. He's preaching a series on the Trinity in Nigeria. He used John 8, 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Well, lo and behold, we've got the eternal procession of the Son. If you're going to take the word proceed in John 15, 26, and make it the eternal procession of the Son, of the Spirit, excuse me, then John 8, 42 has as much validity as the eternal procession of the Son. Because they're both wrong. They're both dead wrong. They're both heresies. Back to John chapter 16. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, and that's the day of Pentecost. And we've already dealt with that sufficiently for you to know that. There shouldn't be a doubt in your mind about it. 
It's the day of Pentecost. He will guide you into all truth. And the difference between those apostles, the day before Pentecost and the day after Pentecost, proves that that's the fulfillment, let alone going to John 7, 14, 15, 16, and anywhere else in the Bible, and knowing that the Holy Spirit proceeded forth from God to Christ, from Christ to the church on the day of Pentecost. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. The powerful influences of the Holy Spirit were the day of Pentecost. How be it when? So when the Bible says when, we need to ask when is that when? And it was the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of truth is come. He will guide you into all truth. It's important to remember that these words are exclusively for the apostles. These words are exclusively for the apostles. They're not for anyone else. Rebels like Korah. Korah raised up 250 princes of Israel along with Dathan and Abiram. And those 253, those 253 accused Moses of taking too much upon himself. They said, all the congregation is holy. Well, that's like you coming along and taking John 16, 13 and saying, I've got the Spirit of God and the Spirit leads me into all truth and has shown me all truth. We've had little children stand up in this church before and say that. We've had little children write us letters about how the Spirit of God had directed them to overthrow the doctrine that they agreed to when they joined our church. Well, the poor little children, they put five minutes of Bible reading in on a weekend with some little devotional written by a woman, and they want to come up with new doctrine. And they'll, they'll use John 16, 13 for it. This verse isn't for you. This verse is for the apostles. And it was fulfilled perfectly with the apostles. The Lord Jesus did not commit himself or the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. The context preceding and following and the timing of these words is for the 11 apostles. Second generation pastors don't get the benefit of John 16, 13. I wish I could, I wish I had the benefit of John 16, 13 directly. I shouldn't even say that. I have the benefit of John 16, 13 indirectly because the apostles got it directly and the apostles wrote the epistles, which I'm supposed to study. And I'm supposed to study as a workman. And I'm supposed to give myself wholly to these, th these things. Give yourself wholly to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He will guide you into all truth. There's a proper order for things, and Jesus did not teach the apostles all truth himself. I hope you can appreciate the order here and not be irritated by it. Jesus in his divine nature knew everything God the Father ever knew. The Holy Spirit in his divine nature, and that's the only nature he has, knew everything God the Father ever knew. Don't be confused that way. There are people that get confused in these verses that are following about wondering what was conveyed from the divine nature of the Father to the divine nature of the Son and then to the Holy Spirit. But it's not. It's to Jesus the mediator, and this terminology is used for the apostles to appreciate that the body of truth from God had been given to Jesus as their mediator, and he had assigned the Holy Spirit to be the personal teacher of them. Right. 
you know, there's a, there's a practical relationship going on here that if you miss, you miss. If all you want to worry about is regeneration takes place before a person believes, then so be it. The devils believe it perfectly, and it doesn't have a thing to do with going to heaven, and it doesn't have a thing to do with living a pleasing life to Jesus Christ. It is such a minor point in comparison to what we've learned in John 14, 15, and 16. We learned that if we obey, the Father will love us. If we obey, the Son will love us. If we obey, the Father and the Son will come and dwell in us and manifest themselves to us. There's a great practical relationship going on. And the Holy Spirit became the teacher of all truth intended for the church by God. Not all truth absolutely considered. The apostles couldn't bear it. Jesus couldn't bear it. Did Jesus understand all truth? Be very careful with your answer. Or you're going to forget who he was. Did Jesus say that the day of his coming, the day of the coming of God's judgment in Mark chapter 13, Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21 was known only by the Father, not by the angels in heaven, and not by the Son? Remember it. Remember it. There is a body of truth. And so when Jesus says he'll guide you into all truth, they did not become omniscient. But they understood all the, church, all the truth the church needed. When Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, is that to be understood absolutely? Was God under him? No, he wasn't. Was he under God? Yes. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. What power was that? The power over all angels and principalities and thrones and might and dominion in the spiritual realm outside of God necessary for the profit of the church. That's what it is. All power is given unto me necessary for the church. I'm the head of the church. I'm the bishop. I'm the protector. With the power given to me over this little puny planet and over the angelic realm around it that influences it, go and preach the gospel. That's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He will guide you into all truth. This is the body of truth that God had given to Jesus, that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit that was necessary for the church of Jesus Christ. God, our infinitely wise Father, has perfect reasons for how and when he does all things. Could he have taken the apostles on the Sea of Galilee and given them the Holy Ghost right then? Could they have been the apostles for the three and a half years before Pentecost, that they were for the three and a half years after Pentecost? Yes. But God didn't do things that way. Each one of you, each one of you has been converted at a different time in your life than anyone else. And each one in here has been converted to a different degree than anyone else. And we do not bark against it. We thank God that we were converted at all. And then we use whatever conversion he's given us to seek more because that's what we're told to do with it. Do you see yet, blind man? I see men like trees. We want to do better than that. 
We want to go wash in the pool of Siloam and come seeing. And, and so when we look at these verses, this verse here, John 16, 13, we understand it's apostolic, but we want the spirit of truth to teach us everything that we should be learning ourselves. Truth exists with or without us, but we need a guide to find it, understand it, and believe it. There's a body of truth that needs to be explained. The eunuch was so wise in his humility, or we should say he was so humble in his wisdom to tell Philip, how can I understand Isaiah 53 unless I have some man to guide me? When I read it, I can't figure out if the prophet is talking about himself or about another man. You look at Isaiah 53 and laugh at the eunuch, but that isn't fair because you've been taught Isaiah 53 for all the years of your life. They had never heard that passage before applied to someone else, but he was coming back from Jerusalem And he may well have heard that Isaiah 53 was talking about Jesus of Nazareth, and that's what Philip took up and preached Jesus to him. He wasn't sure. And we need the Holy Spirit, and they needed the Holy Spirit. For he shall not speak of himself. We're in the middle of John 16, 13. He guided them into all truth. When I mentioned Romans 9 through 11 recently, that's dealing with the Jewish-Gentile issue, that some of the Jews were blinded, that the Gentiles could be converted, and if the Gentiles weren't careful, they could be cut off, all that stuff. They weren't even close to it, but the Holy Spirit taught them. Paul wrote it down for us. For he shall not speak of himself. For he shall not speak of himself. In what sense would the Holy Spirit not speak of himself, though being infinite God? He's infinite God. I think he can say anything he wants to whenever he wants to. Why does it say, for he shall not speak of himself? It does not mean that the Holy Spirit would not teach about himself. That's taught in John 15, 26. John 15, 26 says that when the Spirit of God has come, he shall testify of me. So when it says in John 16, 13, he shall not speak of himself, it does not mean he's going to teach about Jesus. That's 1526. It does not mean that the Holy Spirit is incapable or unable to originate his own thoughts. He'll not speak of himself. What it does mean, and in this context, he would convey truth that God had given to Jesus and Jesus had given to him because he's going to explain it. I just made you suffer by hearing my explanation. Because here's what it says next. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Do you mean to tell me that the Spirit of God is not omniscient and that he had to hear things in order to be able to speak them? Think about it. You'd be amazed at what people come up with in these verses. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The body of truth that God had given to Jesus Christ Jesus Christ assigned that to the Holy Spirit by his almighty power to convey it to the apostles, and they did. You say, why is it put in language like this to make it so personal that the entire Trinity is involved in the support, defense, education, promotion, and perfection of the eleven from Galilee? That's why. It is beautiful. For, For men that were scared, what are we going to do when he leaves us? If they ask us any of the questions like they asked him, 
will fry. If they come up with seven sisters married to one man, and who's he gonna who are they who's he gonna be married to in heaven? Will fry. We'll say there's polygamy in heaven. He'll be married to all seven. They they were terrified. They did not want Jesus to leave. But Jesus said, you can't bear everything that I want to teach you right now with the Holy Spirit in 50 days will lead you into all truth. And he certainly did. For he shall not speak of himself. The explanation is from verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you. I have a body of truth that you need to be the foundation stones of my church. How be it? When the Spirit of God comes, He's going to guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself. He's not going to have a different body of truth. He's not going to add to it, take away from it, or have different truth. He's going to have the body of truth that's been assigned from God to me, to Him, to teach you. That's the chain. Now, if you're surprised by that and you're wondering about it, how did the Holy Spirit Himself arrive in the earth? Let's just back up. How did the Holy Spirit Himself arrive in the day of Pentecost? I thought the Holy Spirit was omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God. Come on. How did he arrive? God gave him to Jesus. Jesus gave him to the church. In his divine nature. In his church ministry. In his church ministry. God gave the gift of the Holy Ghost to Jesus for dying on the cross for us. Jesus gave the gift of the Holy Ghost as the indwelling presence of God for the perpetuity of the church on the day of Pentecost in his ministry. And these distinctions have to be made. Rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm telling you, you better rightly divide the word of truth or you will end up in heresy. You'll be tied in knots thinking that the divine nature is being talked about when it's actually the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is being addressed. He shall not speak of himself. He is going to give you that truth God gave me. Remember, everything Jesus had had been given to him by God. Look at John. This is, this, this is repeated throughout the Gospel of John. We've been over this so many times. John 7, verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. The body of doctrine that Jesus had had been given to him by God. John 7, 16. How about John chapter 8? And, oh, there's so many verses in here. In verse 28, John 8, 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. My Father taught me, I speak these things. Did Jesus in his divine nature know all things? Yes. Did Jesus in his role as our mediator not know all things? Did he grow in wisdom and stature? Did he grow in wisdom? And the Father gave him a body of truth. And so when he entered upon his ministry with the Spirit given without measure to him, he preached that body of truth that the Father had given him. The Spirit himself was given from God to Jesus, from Jesus to the church. The body of truth that the church needs was given by God to Jesus and by Jesus to the apostles who wrote, who preached it and then wrote it to the church. And that is what John 16 and 13, the second half of the verse, is teaching us. For he shall not speak of himself. This is not some new 
body of truth. This is the body of truth that's been committed to me, and I've only taught you part of it. You're not able to bear it, but in 50 days you'll be able to bear it, and he'll give you all of it. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. You know that is only the ministry to the apostles of a certain body of truth. The, the divine nature of the Holy Spirit did not increase in wisdom by hearing something. Let me say it again. Why did he write it this way? Because he's speaking in, para, in Proverbs. He's going to say that in about 10 verses. He's speaking in Proverbs, and he wants to unite the Trinity in the support and defense of the apostles. And he's got, he's got it all united. The Holy Spirit is there as my assistant. Is that subordinating the Holy Spirit to say it that way? Not at all. To teach you everything that I haven't been able to teach you in the time I've been with you. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He will show you things to come. Prophecy is such a prerogative of God. It, it proves the omniscience of God, and it proves the omnipotence of God. When, when God is able to prophesy something in advance before it happens, not only does he know that it's going to happen, but he has the power to make it happen. And the combination is just God. And so fulfillment of prophecy, like I've taught for decades, is such a proof of the Bible and such a proof of God himself. Fulfilled prophecy in Isaiah 40 through 48 are wonderful chapters in the Bible. And these men began prophesying immediately. Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter is telling them about this untoward generation that's going to be destroyed very soon. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And he explained it in many words. So he went into some detail about the destruction of Jerusalem, and it goes on and on. The, the last book of the New Testament is the book of Revelation describing the European history of the Dark Ages under the influence of per, first pagan and then papal Rome. Incredible prophecy. Daniel just gave us hints in Daniel chapter 7, but here comes John, the fisherman, the son of Zebedee, from the Sea of Galilee, writing the book of Revelation. And we're told in the book of Revelation that it was by the spirit of prophecy. Verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. What does that mean unless you understand what I just said about verse 13, the second half? He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine. He's going to take my body of doctrine that God gave me and he's going to show it unto you you'll finally understand that after the day of Pentecost, the body of doctrine God gave me for the sake of his children while they're on earth. Do you think it's all the truth there is in the universe? No. It's the body of truth necessary for the church while they're on earth. Right. He shall glorify me. We want to remember that about the Holy Spirit. He shall glorify me because he's going to give you what I have assigned for him to give you because we're all working together in this matter. God gave it to me. I gave it to him. He's going to hear it. I'm going to assign it. He's going to give it to you. Again, let me back up. How did the Spirit get into this world to be in the apostles on the day of Pentecost? Jesus sent him. He hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. God gave it to Jesus, Jesus gave it to the church, and the church has benefited for 2,000 years because of it. And so verse 14 is that the Holy Spirit's going to glorify me and you. That's what we want for this church. If we are a Spirit-filled church, we want to celebrate Jesus Christ always. Right. 
He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine. He's going to have my doctrine and he's going to show it to you. Verse 15, all things that the Father hath are mine. How far do you want to take that? All things that the Father hath are mine. Is Jesus here making some claim in his divine nature to being equal in divine nature to the Father? That would have no value for the apostles. What's he talking about? A body of truth. The things, power and truth. All power is given unto me. What power? The power God intended for Jesus to have and to give to the apostles that the gates of hell could not prevail against them to preach the gospel in the whole world. What things? The truth. That the body of truth that God had given to Jesus, Jesus assigned the Spirit and the Spirit taught them. All things that the Father hath are mine. So he's involving the entire Trinity in the support of the apostles. The apostles are losing Jesus, but they have the support of the Trinity replacing him. They have God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ by that Spirit dwelling with them, dwelling in them, empowering them, and leading them into all truth. All things the Father hath are mine. God gave them to Jesus. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. The Spirit will take of mine what do I have that's mine? A body of truth that God the Father gave me. It is this body of truth that is in the epistles of the New Testament. God the Father gave it to Jesus, the head of our church. Jesus gave it to the Holy Spirit and assigned him in his ministry role to give it to the apostles who put it down in writing for us. I've said it ten times now, but I hope you understand it. It's here. It was practiced in the arrival of the Spirit himself in his ministry, and it was shown in the arrival of truth on the day of Pentecost to those apostles. So verse 15, the Father gave me the body of truth, all things that the Spirit's going to show you, all the things I wish I could teach you, that I have to teach you, that you're not able to bear, you will get on the day of Pentecost. I got them from the Father. The, the Spirit's going to take them from me, they're mine, and he's going to show them to you. We are all together. God the Father, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit, and you will all be on the same page in all doctrine and all truth that you need for the success of the church for 2,000 years until Jesus comes for it. Amen. Reading the epistles should be the joy of our lives. Amen. One chapter of Ephesians annihilates Genesis. Oh, there isn't even a comparison. The, the revelation that was given to Paul right. that the sons of men had never known before that's revealed to us in the book of Ephesians. But there it is in verse 15. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Not, let me, go, let me go over it one more time. Does Jesus Christ the Son have the entirety of the Father? In his divine nature, but that doesn't prove anything here. Is Jesus the Son 
subordinate to God the Father. Do you know that? Do you know it from John 14 where Jesus said, My Father is greater than I. What does that mean to you? I'm trying to clarify that you understand these points right here. Jesus is not undoing John 14, 28, where he said, My Father is greater than I. Jesus is explaining that the all things are limited by the context of the things they needed to learn to be the great apostles that they were to supply us, the church, for the next 2,000 years. That's the all things. And that's the all power. All power was given unto Jesus sufficient for apostles to go into Asia and preach the gospel to Gentiles and have Gentiles believe it. Not that everything that God's capable of doing, Jesus the Son was capable of doing because Jesus the Son is subordinate to God the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Let's look at it. Let's look at it because I can't leave you confused on this point. When it says in, go to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 28. When it says in John 16, 15, all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, see, he limits it. He limits it. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. What shall he take of Jesus? The truth that Jesus wanted to teach them, but couldn't because they couldn't bear it. Howbeit the Spirit would do that teaching for him, for he shall not speak of himself. He will not be appealing to his divine nature for what he teaches, but he will be giving you what I gave him and assigned him to give you. You say, I understand now why the apostles were confused later in this chapter. <laughs> okay? Jesus is going to say, I've spoken to you so far in Proverbs, but there's coming a time when I'm going to speak to you plainly about the Father. When would he really speak plainly about the Father? By the Holy Spirit teaching. I want you to read, I want you to be at 1 Corinthians 15, 28, so I can read a verse there about the Lord Jesus Christ and his subordination to God the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Let's let's go back. Let's back up. Let's back up to verse uh, 23, the last few words. Christ that is coming. We're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Then cometh the end. That makes sense to us. Jesus Christ return is the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, he's going to deliver it up to God. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. So there's a lot of rule and a lot of authority and a lot of power under the feet of Jesus. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted. Is that manifest to everyone in this room? Is it clear, plain, and simple to everyone in this room that when it says all things are under the feet of Jesus Christ, that all power is given unto him in heaven and earth, that all things the Father are given to him, it is not absolutely considered all power or all things or all rule or all authority. It's only that authority, power, and things and truth given by God to Jesus Christ as the mediator of his church. It is manifest that he is accepted and that is not ACC, that is E-X-C-E-P, because God is an exception to the rule of Jesus Christ, which did put all things under him, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, what all things? The all things God put under the feet of Jesus Christ, 
Then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. These verses I've stressed to you before, but I never want you to forget them. And young men in this church, don't forget, Jesus as the Son of God is subordinate to the Father. Jesus in his divine nature is called the Word of God. Is he subordinate to the Father? Not a chance. He is the Father. He is Jehovah as the Word of God. But as, G as Jesus the mediator, as Jesus the, the head of our church, as Jesus the chief cornerstone, he is under the Father. He was given a body of truth and a certain amount of power and had angels and principalities put under his feet for the benefit of his apostles and for you and me 2,000 years later. And so when it says in verse 15, all things the Father hath are mine, it is manifest that the Father is accepted from that and some of the other things of the Father are accepted from that and the context tells us it's the truth. It is the body of doctrine and truth that the apostles needed to know in order to teach us so that we would know everything God wants us to know before he takes us to heaven. And where is that found? It's found in the epistles of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was there anything lost? Nothing was lost. God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to the Spirit. The Spirit gave it to the apostles. And the apostles wrote it down by the inspiration of that same Spirit. And we have it all. And yes, he isn't speaking as plainly as he knows he could. And he's going to tell us that in the second service that he wasn't speaking as plainly as he could, but I've tried to make it as plain as possible to you. And it's exciting to think about the apostles being scared to embark on a preaching ministry without the answer man. And I mean that with all due respect in a capital A and a capital M. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a perfect answer. The Bible tells us that all of his enemies durst ask him no more questions. They wanted to be like that for them. Oh, it was. It was a deacon, a deacon in Acts 6 and Acts 7 could not be gainsaid by the combined wisdom and education of the Jewish leadership. They could not resist a deacon once the Holy Spirit was upon him. What do we know about Stephen? He was a man full of the Holy Ghost. There we go. There we go, John 16, 12 through 15. These are his final lessons. It's a full moon. You say, were there clouds that? Do you think I know? You say, how do you know it was a full moon? Because it was Passover. I just don't know if there were clouds, but there was a full moon. They're taking a walk from Jerusalem to Bethany, where the Garden of Gethsemane was. They're coming from the upper room. Jesus is giving them his final lessons. They were scared. They were sorrowful. He has warned them that he's going to be betrayed that night. He's warned them that he's going to have to leave them. They're scared. And he's comforting them with lesson after lesson that should allow them, and the fulfillment of some of these promises, when they were fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, empowered them to be fearless. Yes. Right. Total transformation. Yep. And the Lord's able to transform us as well. Amen. Thanks be to God for that. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.